Hello and welcome back to Unedited the Podcast. I am your host, Kelsey Lauren, and this is episode 17. I have yet another brilliant guest, and I'm so excited to be talking to this woman who is just, she is a force, a force to be reckoned with, and also just such a beautiful example of somebody who has spent the time cultivating her ability to walk with grace and truly meet life exactly how and where she needs to. So without further ado, this is Corey Lee. Oh, thank you, Kelsey. I feel like I'm going to cry already. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So my name is Corey. Uh, My middle name is Lee. And I've always felt like it's a waste to just have a middle name and not use it. So I go by Corey Lee. I always know when people know me on social media because they're like, Corey Lee. And then people in the like three-dimensional reality are call, call me Corey. So I don't even know how I would possibly introduce myself. Um, I am a women's coach. I have sort of started to morph into a little bit of the realm of business coaching, but not in like the strategy sense of business coaching. I do the inner work behind behind running a business, like behind being an entrepreneur, behind being a CEO, a high achieving, perfectionistic, control freak, micromanaging woman who's trying to learn how to not burn ourselves out by doing so much. And really, I think where my expertise in the realm of inner work comes in is infusing faith, like infusing heart led energetics um, into how we show up in our lives and in our businesses. And I'm a mom of one and I'm a recovering alcoholic. So that would be my introduction today. Brilliant. I love, there's just so many layers there, right? And I think the way that you just introduced yourself, the work you do, the life you lead is such a beautiful testament to a human fully embracing their multidimensionality. And I know a little bit of your story based on having had you in my world for a few years and just kind of keeping up with life on Instagram, but you have seen a lot of life. And I think that's a really brilliant thing that you and I have in common is in our in our lifetimes, it feels like we could have lived 10, 20, 30 lives. And all of the lessons and the wisdom we've gleaned from a lot of that is I know for me, mostly what I bring into the work that I do, all of the certifications, the classes, the whatever, that's just like a cherry on top. But for me, it's the experiential wisdom that we bring to the table that really creates the powerful, transformative nature of the work that you and I both get to do with our clients, with our communities. So I would love to maybe just invite you to share some of the most formative Mm. moments that brought you to who you are and what you do today. Mm, Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I couldn't agree more with that. The academics and the courses are cool, but like it has been the life experience and not just like life experience, but transmuting it, alchemizing it, staying present long enough for the miracle to happen through it. And I can only say that that has been the biggest piece of it now that I'm on the other side and I can see the miracles. Cause for so long it wasn't, it didn't feel miraculous. It was dark and hell like. So I think, I mean, my dad died on summer holidays when I was six years old, he tucked us into bed and then he had a brain aneurysm that night. And 
I have three siblings and for some reason that impacted me in, I don't want to say a greater, but a it impacted me deeply, severely, a lotly. Like it just, it changed the course of my, the way my heart beat. And I think for a long time, I interpreted life as it was happening to me. Like the lessons were happening to me and I was a victim and um, I didn't trust the God that took away my dad. And it just created a lot of internal turmoil. And I grew up, I just, I have a daughter now. So I think a lot about this these days and I just didn't feel safe anywhere. I was, I wasn't smart in school. I didn't understand how to do school work until I stole dextrin in grade 12. And then I was really good at school, but that also was like, I'm a recovering alcoholic. So like, give me substances and I'll take all of them. And then I was in young Canadians in Calgary, like dancing. And I hated that. I, the, I just was not a good atmosphere. And so, and then my mom remarried a man who like, I don't have very many nice things to say about him. Like a lot of narcissism. There's a lot of dysfunction in my family, a lot of like alliances being that were built and the dysfunction between my mom and him. And I just didn't feel safe growing up. And then I don't know, I went to, when I graduated, I didn't have the mark, the grades to get into university. And so I decided between nutrition or uh, fashion school. And I took the route of nutrition and then, then nutrition kind of led me into coaching. I, I traveled at that time. I lived in Australia for a year and New Zealand for a year. And I was like finding my independence and f- falling in love with alcohol and drugs and partying. And none of it seemed like a problem at that point in time. And then when I came home from traveling, um, I was running my own little boot camp business. I was doing some nutrition at Jenny Craig and I fell infatuation. That's the word I will use today. I thought mm-hmm. it was love with a man. And that turned out to be, I think, a relationship of like an external representation of a familial relationship that I had. Mm -hmm. And it was abusive, like to its core. It was physically violent, emotionally. There was a lot of drugs and alcohol. It was chaos. And so from there, I ended up leaving that relationship. And that's when I really fell into the inner work. It was 11 years ago. I was suicidal. I was depressed. I was drinking. I was doing drugs. I And I couldn't get out of this relationship. I had filed five police reports. I had changed my phone number numerous times. I was in hiding at friends' houses. And then I would like relapse. Like I would go back to him. I was like addicted to this thing. And so I finally got out of that. I remarried somebody else because this was another one of my vices. It was like obviously men, geographical changes, anything I could do to not be me or to lessen the intensity of who I was. Married somebody. Um, I loved this person a lot. We ended up getting a divorce a couple of years later. He it turned out that he was a drug addict, and I had no idea. But the irony of the whole thing is that as at around the time of us of him leaving, so he just left. He never he called me up, and then he never came home. Like literally, wow. just never came home. Which was I as I'm learning more in the realm of recovery, it's pretty seems like a pretty classic way to just leave people. <laughs> you just mm-hmm. don't come home. It's no bizarre. responsibility. <laughs> oh, no, like bye. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. But and at that time, I got sober. So at that time, I had kind of hit my ultimate rock bottom in desperation, and that was the beginning of my 
sober journey. And so I think those are like, there's more now there's familial estrangement and there's more pieces that have been really pivotal, but those were some of the big pivotal rock bottoms and gifts of desperation that I got along the path. Yeah. What, what would you say if there were any like themes or invitations, I guess, that came out of that, that, um, I guess summoned you into a higher maturity version of yourself? What would those be? I think the invitation was like the whole time that I was moving through, it was like I was trying to control the outcome out of fear. Like I just had so much fear. I had fear of like not necessarily dying. I was obsessed with dying. Like get me off of this planet. Like I remember from a kid, like I am not supposed to be here. I would pray for aliens to just take me away from this planet. I didn't know how to be human and I didn't like the concept of this. So I was like in rejection of this existence. And so the invitations were like, I don't know, with the familial stuff and then the abusive relationship and the end of the marriage and then sobriety and now the estrangement, it was like almost like a higher power chipping away at control where eventually the invitation felt like a true place of surrender. Like, Corey, your will is not going to get you through. You need a G.O.D. Like, I need to operate life based on an intelligence that is greater than myself. So I think it was like this pathway to surrender, but I really fought it. Can I ever relate to that? (laughs) Yeah, that's so beautifully said. And I think think to your point, like a lot of the times – when I'm having conversations with myself, with my partner, with my clients, um, a lot of them kind of revolve around the process of being in your human experience and becoming okay and not just okay with, but thriving within and loving and appreciating the gifts of the sacred human design and experience that we all get to have. And for a lot of us that struggle with things like mental health circumstances or addictions or just horrible relationships that we've been in or just harrowing circumstances. I know my family has been through a lot of like financial issues and a lot of death in my family has happened as well. It can be really difficult to um, find a sense of peace in the human experience with all of that happening until we've actually learned how to hold those experiences and navigate them in a way that doesn't completely blow us out, but allows us to kind of just, I know you always use the words like be in the eye of the storm and just become a bit of an observer and a witness to what's happening and to what's happening within yourself as well. And I think that self-relationship is such a, a pivotal part of anyone's ability to not overcome things, but to lead themselves through those initiations. And so I would love to know if you have any thoughts on that that personal relationship with yourself, responsibility of yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to let you have the floor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes me think of a few things. Like, I'm going to try to keep my train of thought here. I... <laughs> One of the things that I think of is the concept of what we call in recovery, faith without works is dead. 
So what I have learned for me, what that means is I was always looking up at the sky for the grand scroll from God or the angels or the team of miracle workers to tell me like, this is your mission, Corey, and this is how you go about doing it. And I was lost in philosophy and lost in the energetics and lost in this and that. And I was not able to be human. I wanted Mm -hmm. to transcend human. And I see this in the spiritual and coaching world a lot like we want to bypass the human existence and like we are humans you know whether it's an illusion or a simulated reality like we're still here (laughs) like this is what it is and so one of the things that I had to learn when I got sober was like how to take the next indicated step and for me I've I've started calling it dog shit spirituality like in order for me to live an effective life I have to pick up the dog poop. I have to fill the tank with gas. I have to make the bed. Like I have to do human things and do them well. And when I do the human things and do them well, my um, faith with a higher power increases because my life works better. Whereas before I was busy in philosophy and my life was falling apart because I didn't know how to human, like I didn't know how to be a human being, pay Mm -hmm. taxes, make money. Because I was like, money's fake, the whole system. And yeah, there is an element of it that's true. But it's still our reality. Like it's Mm -hmm. like, so we can't, I've come to learn at least at this point in my evolution is like, if we want to transcend the thing, we need to master the thing. And in order to master the human experience, I got to be a human who feels the human experience and emotion to its entirety without bypassing what it means to be a human being, a boring human being who lives a boring human existence. Yeah. Oh, one of the things that I've been like really cultivating so much joy in is like the elation that I find and the delight I'm able to find now in the most mundane shit. Like putting my hands in soil yesterday was like the most thrilling thing I could have been doing with my time. And it's like when people can get to that level of like delight and joy in the human density, everything becomes so much easier. It's just easeful. (laughs) It's so – because we're not searching for something greater than. Like, Mm -hmm. we get to be in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I remember having an experience driving home from holistic nutrition school years ago and biting into an apple. And I remember I had to pull over because I was, like, taken back. It was. I feel like it was – this is probably going to sound so weird, but but not to you. It felt <laughs> initiation from the plant kingdom that like Corey yeah. initiated in this moment because I was taken aback by the apple, like the smell of the apple, like looking at the apple, the flavor of the apple. And like to know that the apple goes from the seed to the apple and then the human body eats the apple. It knows to eat the apple. And then the whole entire system knows exactly what to do with the nutrients, where to send them, what to get rid of. The body gets rid of what it doesn't need, makes organs out of what it does. And then that poop gets composted to make another motherfucking apple seed. And I was like, what a miracle. It's so crazy. Like, and we miss that because we future trip and worry about all this stuff that isn't important. And that we need to have a plan. Like this is the other thing that bends my, we don't need a plan. You don't need a plan. The universe has a plan. Like why would it have a plan for everything else, but the human beings? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the well, other I think, 
Oh, I was going to say, I was just going to say really quickly on the plan thing is like a lot, like you were saying earlier, a lot of people are, and I, I was totally this way as well, trying to find purpose or meaning or their mission outside of themselves in some future timeline. And that's not where you find it. You find purpose and meaning when you're face to face with exactly what's in front of you. And that is how God offers you invitations really subtly through reality into, like you said, the next indicated step where your next desire is going to sprout from, where your next inspiration is going to blossom, where your next impulse to move towards something is going to originate or your desire to rest is going to happen. It all happens in the now moment. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that it really demands that we, my first year of sobriety, I made 2017 the theme, like I called the theme of 2017 boring. And the reason I did that is because I thought alcohol, like getting sober was going to be the killjoy of all fun. And I knew that if I was going to live this middle, this middle pathway, I needed to reconcile my relationship with the mundane, with boring, with the space between, with rooting in. It's turned out to be the opposite of boring. Sobriety for me, because I'm not blacking out and having shame and all this garbage. It's like not boring at all. But in order to, I believe, reconcile that need to know the future tripping plan, like our big plan and our big purpose and to be able to come face to face with the moment at hand and to eat the apple in delight or to grieve in intensity or to put your hands in the soil and feel the joy of the moment is we have to learn, like, can it be enough? Can boring be enough? Like, can we be delighted in the mundane? Or does it have to always be this cortisol-induced, adrenaline hit, manic display of insanity? I think Mm -hmm. that that's one of the human problems is, like, we're just addicted to drama. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of it, too, like, culturally, societally, like – our world is engineered to create addiction, to hook our energy, to siphon our life force into these things that aren't for our best interest or the best interest of the collective at all. And breaking up with that paradigm requires self-responsibility. And it's like, I think even beyond the can you be present and can you be in delight and enjoy in order to get there, can you take ownership of your own life force and like be willing to have a relationship with your body and a relationship with life and a just, just have relationship even because a lot of those things are so devoid of relationship. Um, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it's true. It's like, it makes me think of like, it's devoid of that. When I think of relationship, it's like this full feeling like Mm -hmm. satisfaction and satiation but like on the deepest level and these other things the cortisol and the adrenaline hits they're just they're like they're just lines of cocaine like they last Mm -hmm. for a second and then you need another line and then you need another line and then you need another line whereas like when you've got your hands in the soil and a relationship with the passing of this human existence I don't know there's a fullness to it And it makes me think on that other piece that you were saying before on 
personal responsibility in our relationship with life. Like one of the things that I have learned, I'm learning. I don't like ED. Nothing is learned. <laughs> yeah. Learning. Nothing is recovery. Forever student. <laughs> yeah. Forever student is like, it's not personal. This existence yeah. isn't personal. Like when what, that was one of the places I learned it was when I did my first fifth step in recovery on and dad dying was in it. And it was like, our world thinks like, oh, it's happening for you. It happened to teach you something. And it's like, no, a man died because humans die. And a little girl was impacted in the crossfire. It was not personal. And when I can um, detach myself from personalizing life's experience and just be in acceptance, some things are painful. Some things are not painful. It has nothing to do with me. It has literally nothing to do with me. I find myself having a deeper state of acceptance and ability to relate with the unfolding of this human experience. Yeah. Uh, I think even like, I think an amplifier of the richness of what you just said as well is like you can, if you can exist in that space of it's not personal and also develop your capacity to glean wisdom and metabolize that experience in a productive way, and I don't mean like society productive, but in in a way that enriches you as a human being, whether it teaches you something about love or teaches you something about emotional intelligence or brings you closer to knowing who you are or your needs, um, all of that is just a really important data and your ability to cultivate from that while not being attached to a narrative or making assumptions about it or creating um, different like webs and realities around these circumstances, I think that in itself is is one of the most fundamental parts of the process of mastery. And we were talking about like a student of life. And for me, like mastery is studentship. It's it, – you never get to the end point in a mastery journey. It's just this constant – deepening. Yeah. Relationship. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. The paradox of like it not being personal and also allowing yourself, it makes me, I know this is like a weird metaphor, but suddenly I thought of like, I don't know, the Okanagan in the peak of summer where the peaches are on the trees and they're just like ripe and juicy and the peaches purpose it doesn't give a shit if the human eats the peach. It doesn't matter. But like, it's welcome. We're welcome to eat the peach. It's not personal. It has nothing to do with us. The peach grows whether we want to take its nectar or not. And so it's like the ability to be able to, like what you said, to take it, like to eat the peach and enjoy the peach and take the nutrients and allow that mastery to recalibrate ourselves. Like we get to take from the the buffet of this existence whatever we want and yet it's also not it's not personal the buffet doesn't care if we take the buffet but like there's so much to be taken from the buffet if we want to participate and then not make it personal yeah I, I mean even to just build on what you said about like the I'm reading uh braiding sweet grass right now I don't know if you've ever read it and I'm also starting to go down a bit of a permaculture rabbit hole and I'm really enlivened right now by just the concept of responsibility and reciprocity. And I think our 
our ability to be in responsibility and relationship and mastery and to work with what we just talked about, the expansion of that is reciprocity. It's like the peach gave you the fruit. You were nourished by it. You metabolized it. And now with that gift, with that blessing, with what you were enriched through, how are you then passing that on? Yeah. And I think that's like the ultimate invitation to me. Like that is to me my like lifelong human mission is like how do I get to leave the world better than I found it while taking care of my side of the street and taking self-responsibility and learning all of these things and, and being in a relationship with mastery and being present to the ups and the downs <laughs> of the world. Um, how does all of that get to be passed along? This is so good. I, (laughs) it makes me think of step 12 in 12 stepping because step 12 is having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. We continue to carry the message to the whoever that still suffers. So the primary purpose in 12 stepping is to carry the message, but the Mm -hmm. only way the message can be carried is if the first 11 steps are done on the personal responsibility, cleaning your side of the street, letting go of resentments, cleaning your heart and making yourself well. And I think it's like our society has it all backwards when I think about like martyrdom. Like we need to give first. We need to lay ourselves on the line. We need to put every – and then we give from an empty well and we become resentful and angry and burnt out and bitter. Whereas like I think what we're saying in these metaphors here is like it's the self-mastery. It's like the self-responsibility. It's taking responsibility for our energetics and our wellness and our relationship with the quantum, with our existence. And then Mm -hmm. through that, we get so filled up and so nourished that we're just so full, we can't help but give it back. And it's like in the journey of becoming um, selfish first, we fill our own well. We can't help but become selfless. We become vessels of the quantum or the universe or the Godhead or whatever the heck you want to call it to spread more of those seeds and to make this place better. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when I think about God creation, God is prolific. The divine organic blueprint is abundance. It's thriving. It's a carrying on of creation in whatever means necessary, whether that's something needs to be compost to fertilize the soil for something new to grow um, or something needs to be circulated or altered. It's all in the name of proliferation and abundance and creation. And all of these pieces that we're talking about are simply a sliver of that blueprint and that creation process and that creational relationship that we all get to be a part of. And that to me is like one of the fundamental parts of the human experience is we actually get to take part in that and witness that and experience and contribute to that in such a unique way with sentience, with emotion, with such a spectrum of ways to to digest that. And so I think that's just like, that's miraculous in itself. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what I would say on that. It's so <laughs> true. It's like, I don't know, this whole thing is so 
it's just so miraculous. Like the whole thing is so abundant and so miraculous. And it's like this fine tuned machine that we all participate in. And the whole thing is about like creating more health and more wealth and more prosperity and more, like it's more, it is like the fundamental of the, of this existence that we live in is wellness. Like it's Mm -hmm. more, it's abundant. And it's so interesting because the narrative, the conditioning, it doesn't say that to us at all. It's got everybody frazzled and in scarcity and panic and control and micromanaging. And it's like that goes against the very fabric of spiritual law. It goes against Mm -hmm. the very fabric of nature. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you just said it, right? That's that is a distortion, a wrinkle, an interference in the manifestation of the blueprint right. creation. And for some beings, <laughs> for some um, goals, I suppose, that can become beneficial um, to be exploitative and predatory and to operate in a closed system like that where you're constantly consuming yourself um, in order to create something Whereas, and I know this is a big part of my work, probably yours, there's a lot of people in the community that I think are in their own way creating this paradigm of writing the the expression, mm. I suppose, and, and moving back towards coherence in the way that we exist and coexist on the planet and create and contribute. But as we all individually start cleaning up that distortion, we start creating more of that relationship and provision and opportunity. And that, I mean, that's my life's work. I know without a shadow of a doubt is to, in whatever way my contribution gets to be made artfully, intentionally with presence, with, with love, um, It's correcting those distortions. Right. Well, and it's so interesting because like I think about the correction of – I really like how you word this. I feel like every time you talk, I'm always just like, oh, my God, keep going. (laughs) I love listening to you. In the correction of that distortion, it's like – it makes me think of like sweeping up debris. And then as we're correcting these – what is revealed underneath it is then without effort. Like it's like, correct. we clean up the debris and we correct these distortions and we realize, Oh my God, this is like, it's a twist in the blueprint. This wasn't supposed to be there. This was a lie. It was a mirage. But then as soon as that's lifted out of the way, it's like this whole new Nirvana shows up. Like that's actually supposed to be there, but that almost comes without without effort. Cause that's the natural, that's the natural part. Like we clean up the window and then we can actually see the truth of what the blueprint actually is supposed to be, which is abundance and ease and flow. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean that, that process takes place in, in so many dimensional layers, right? Like there's a a bioregenesis happening within our bodies and the planetary body. And then there's the energetic calibration to coherence and um, the way that we like intellectualize a lot of this. And I mean, 
each of us get to play with those dimensional octaves and experience Mm. the process of mastery in such beautiful and individuated ways and also be just so deeply connected to this brilliant, perfect miracle of a design and our uncovering of all of these little aspects is is a contribution of a puzzle piece to the full fully realized rehabilitated design and mm-hmm. i mean i i know i'm probably not going to experience that fully the fruition of that in my lifetime and it still feels equally as important to be as devoted to that as ever because I want future generations to have that experience. And that just feels like such a beautiful way to – such a beautiful thing to have your life leave behind. A hundred percent. Yeah, it gives me goosebumps. I mean, it makes me think like when I got – when I started this work, the inner work, it was like – do or like I was dying. I needed like, it was like, I was desperate. I didn't, I didn't start it to be like become enlightened or a master or anything. I just did it because I was dying. And, mm-hmm. and then I got sober and I started to find this new way of living and to actually have an operating relationship with the higher power where there was like actual conscious contact and communication. And it wasn't just like, give me what I want when I want it. I manifesting <laughs> it. It was like, that's not how it is at all. God, but it's not a vending I, machine. I, yeah, it's not a vending machine. I'm sad to pause his lap. Like, here's my list. Deliver it. <laughs> yeah. It like that. But then I had Flora. And, like, everything became uh, – it will make me cry. It just mattered more. You know, yeah. like, the – it took – um the concept of generational pattern breaking, because that's really trendy right now. Everyone's yeah. like, I'm a generational pattern breaker. And I'm like, you're not. You're just, you're not doing the work. Like the actual work is, you know, in my family, there's like this insane level of estrangement and Flora doesn't know most of my siblings or my mother. And I come back and forth into this, you know, the guilt of the bloodline and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, the work is, is because we get to do it different. Like we get to hand something different and there's a real human being on the other side that like, it makes it just all matter so much more because like what she gets handed and then she can hand it to her, to her children and then to her children. I don't know. Like it just matters so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is like one of the, crux points of of this container that I'm very present with and in creation with right now called ceremony of service and and it was it was born out of real time witnessing the ripple effect of my devotion to cultivating myself and cultivating presence and peace and power and and, and purpose and addressing all of those familial ripples in in my lineage and making the really difficult decision to be the stopping point for that and take the heat for it even in some situations and I don't have a child yet and I can already just palpably feel and I'm sure it'll just be amplified when I do have a child but I can palpably feel because I've witnessed how it's altered the relationship I have with my family now how powerfully 
that gets to be like a a heightened standard Mm. that I get to leave behind as an ancestor for the people that come after me to Mm. do far more miraculous things and experience higher levels of beauty and wealth. And I don't mean that just financially, but like more of the human blueprint, more of the divine blueprint. And yeah, it just it's such meaningful work. And and I think motherhood is such a unique invitation into depth with that. And um yeah, I just I have so much so much respect and reverence and just awe for people that have gone on a parenthood or motherhood journey and and just see this with new eyes, right? It's there's like a revelation that happens when life comes from you, <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. And like, I also think, how do I say this? There is the, it's, it's weird and it's different and it's interesting having a daughter. And like you said about the familial line and how these things stop here. And I was talking with my therapist the other day about estrangement and how our the uh, narrative is like, well, they're blood, so we should make it work. And it's like, well, it doesn't if two people are not healing. So like, it's okay. And it needs to be more part of our vernacular to say like, estrangement is okay. Like, it's okay to, it's, it stops here. And, and then we do take the heat for it. And, and when we have a little child, it, it, it shifts things. But like, I don't think that that power stops only with having or adopting or whatever, like becoming a parent. When we're women leading other women, it's the same work. Like, because the women are watching us lead that way. And it gives them the courage to lead their people that way and their children that way. And all of a sudden, this ripple is like, it's so huge. It's so unbelievably vast when we're in our relationship with the quantum and the world in personal responsibility and devotion and self-responsibility it it the ripple is just mind-bending yeah I think something that I feel really called to touch on as well for people who are maybe in estrangement circumstances um I definitely have certain family members that I I wouldn't say I'm estranged with, but I have not had relationship with. Um, The impact of relationship does not have to equal proximity. Mm -hmm. You are still through the quantum field, energetically, emotionally, somatically, multidimensionally. You are still contributing to the development, betterment, cultivation, nourishment, becoming and unfolding of that person regardless of how close you are, how much you speak or see one another, um, the, the, the amplification of your impact gets to happen regardless of, of presence in real life and in density. And I think that's something that a lot of people might might feel like guilt or shame about around having that estrangement piece. And I think what's really grounding and what's really empowering and what's really meaningful is recognizing that your contribution to your familial line expands so far beyond 
you being tangibly with another person. And so the way that you're cultivating relationship with your daughter, the work you're doing in the world, the way that you create community through which people can be human to human, leader to leader, amplifying contribution and wellness and all of these things, all of that is still contributing to your lineage in unseen ways. Yeah. Yeah, I love this because it's more of like the paradox of, so if I use my, the estrangement in my life, um, the estrangement had to take place at this time and space because there is unhealthy human behavior. Like the human is unwell. And so an, a healthy boundary had to be put in place. And mm-hmm. But my work on the sidelines is like cleaning out the resentment in my heart and perpetual prayer prayer that this person has all of the things that I wish that I had communion with their higher self, like my higher self to their higher self, understanding like that, that impact of these boundaries and saying this ends here creates a much bigger, bigger impact than having that proximity closeness and just pretending things are okay. So it's an interesting paradox. I like that in that the relationship is still there and the impact is there probably even more so now that there is healthy boundaries than had there not been and we just continue sweeping things under the rug and doing the same thing for generation and generation and generation yeah yeah well and and i mean i i speak to this often and particularly in in coherence there's a whole conversation around the idea of becoming a calibration point and the way that your your energy multidimensionally can be felt. And when you create a boundary or you alter a relationship or the expression of a relationship, you're ultimately creating an invitation and you are also creating a new model for the relationship. So you're, even if there's space or, or discord between people, you're now inviting them to feel that mm. – that discord and metabolize it and either meet you there or recognize what coherence feels like for them and move towards that. And that modeling of what's available for somebody and that initiation into an an invitation to work with themselves in that way, even if the beginning – it's resentment for them and they're they're bitter that you've set a boundary or there's anger or anything at the separation that's created. If that boundary is set with love and with the intention of purifying that relationship and creating coherence no matter what the outcome looks like, that is still such a brilliant and beautiful way to offer yourself to that relationship. I love that. Like that, I mean, it's like we have this talk that we want to evolve and like do it better. But Mm -hmm. the only way to evolve and do it better is I like that what you just said about you, we become the calibration point. Like there, things have to shift. It's got to be done differently. Mm -hmm. And in order to do it differently, it means we've got to weed out what no longer serves us and create a new standard. And so like that's the, that is literally the process of evolution. That's literally the process of becoming better. And people that are not 
I don't even want to say like aware or awake. People get hurt in the process because yeah, they feel the discord. And then it's like you said, the invitation to rise to a new standard, like a new way of being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really like that perspective on it. And I think bringing it full circle as well <laughs> to the idea of surrendering and not making it personal. When we offer that boundary, when we alter that relationship, when we choose to become a calibration point through our own coherence, I think what's a really important thing to remember is we're doing that separate of an expectation. Mm -hmm. Like that person is now then going to be working with that energy in whatever way they choose to and whatever timeline they're available to do that in. And when we can come to a place of doing that work, I say in air quotes, whatever that looks like for you, um, with that grace and surrender and and a release releasing of expectation and just allowing every person, every being to have their experience and be present with their experience to the capacity that they have bandwidth for mm -hmm. and give people the spaciousness and also the support energetically, emotionally, or physically <laughs> to start to create their own relationship with that, that is when miracles get to happen. Yeah. Uh, it's the whole philosophy of the live and let live. You know, like I think these calibration points have everything to do when we have the best intentions, at least for me anyway. It's like making sure that my vessel is clean. Like above all, it's like making sure that I stay sober. And by the way that I stay sober is by being spiritually fit. And yeah. spiritual fitness involves that I need to make sure that I'm not filled with resentment and that I'm not worried about other people's path. And it really is like it's not about the expectation. We don't do it to convince others to come along. We do it to become better ourselves, which then attracts more of whoever's supposed to come with us. And it may or may not be the people that we desire, that we hoped would come with us, but it's like that live and let live. They'll do it on their own timeline if it's even for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want, okay. So there's a, a tangent that I want to go on. I know this is something that you talk about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the I want to dismantle a little bit the stigma, the assumption, the dialogue that tending the self and that spiritual maturity and emotional maturity and energetic maturity is selfish. Mm. So I know you often speak <laughs> to this. I'm going to give you the floor. <laughs> Oh, I think this was like, it brings me back immediately to some of my old school public speaking that I would do like at the BC Teachers Federation. Like these were not ears ready for this conversation and they would be like <laughs> not picking up what I was putting down at all. It's like the, okay, the best metaphor that I can use is in recovery. So in recovery, the alcoholic or the heroin addict is told like your recovery has to come first. It's got to mm -hmm. come first. If it doesn't come first, anything you put above your recovery, you you will lose because you will lose your recovery. I think we can understand that. Like if the alcoholic doesn't prioritize not drinking, they drink, yeah. they lose their jobs, they're not kind to their family, all the things end up happening. But it's like we can't seem to jump into that. It's the same philosophy in our self-care that if we don't prioritize self 
Like we should be self first, always self first, selfish. If you even want to call it selfish, fine, call it selfish, call it whatever you want. We have to prioritize our emotional, spiritual, mental, energetic health, or we have nothing to give. Yeah. I think we get in trouble because we are told that that is selfish and wrong and bad. And so the humans end up, especially women, end up becoming giant martyrs. And then we think like, oh, I'm a martyr. And like, can't you see how much I'm doing for everybody? And then the martyr ends up becoming burnt out and resentful at the very people she's trying to help. Mm -hmm. Like, And selfish, I think this realm, it's like what we talked about before, at first, let's use the alcoholic, for example, they at first, they might have to be really selfish, like they got to yeah. really figure their stuff out. But eventually, they come to a point where there's, there's enough wellness, there's enough spiritual fitness that they've got lots to give, they become, they end up becoming of service. That's step 12, we become service. Yeah. So if we want to be service oriented, we've got to be self oriented in order to fill our bucket high enough that we then become service oriented. Yeah. What do you I think? I think something something that just came through for me was just almost reframing or reimagining the context for the putting self first as a practice of self-containment. And your container can expand as far as you need it to. And the more fortified your initial container becomes, i.e. your ability to take care of what needs to be taken care of for you to be thriving, Mm. that becomes an expanded capacity to then operate in a field of abundance where your container now can hold a child. Your container can now hold a mission. Your container can hold a marriage. Your container can hold a community. (laughs) Um, And I think that's like that's the first time I've ever kind of imagined it that way. But I think for me, that just creates a really beautiful, tangible mental image of what gets to happen when you start to play in that self-containment and expansion of that containment. And I think that's one of the most abundant things you can do is like fortify your container and create capacity within yourself and become able to bend and move with what life invites you into unshakably. Yeah. Yeah. And even that container, like if the self container is not fortified with sovereignty and with a knowing of self and a filling of thy's own well, well, then anything that attaches to it, child, partner, business, ends up becoming codependent. And the unfilled well starts to siphon unhealthy energy from client, from partner, from child. That's where martyrdom kicks in and neediness and using our clients as our vices, whatever the thing is. It doesn't create that sense of sovereignty. We become attacked like unhealthy attachments, that sovereignty and fullness comes from self first, Mm -hmm. then our container gets bigger and we can actually hold not someone else's agenda. Like even when we talked about the estrangement, a self first full container can hold the fact that live and let live. It's their path, not full container then ends up siphoning like, well, you better do it the way that I need you to do it in order for me to get a sense of internal peace because we're not internally full. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. 
I, this, I mean, obviously because of the context of the work that I and you do, I think this is a really beautiful thing to speak to in terms of like business and client relationships and will probably hit home for a lot of people listening. But um, the more, like you said, sovereign you are, the more you're able to be a source of abundance for the world, the more you're going to have clean relationships you're not going to fall into exploitative sales tactics. You're not going to be creating a paradigm and a felt energetic of I need you in order to pay my bills. I need you in order to feel worthy. I need you to fill me up in some way. It becomes just this beautiful, benevolent, it is my utter delight, joy, and like love in life right now to be contributing and offering you something so that we can symbiotically and sovereignly (laughs) expand and amplify more of this rather than like this filling each other's half full cups. Yeah. The symbiotic and sovereignty together. Oh my God, that's so good. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, okay. So I always bring it back to the metaphor of addiction, but like when the alcoholic is homeless and living under the bridge and drinking warm beer from a paper bag, we're like, yeah, that bitch has a problem. Or like when the heroin addict can't stop putting the needles down, like it's, it's an obvious vice, but when the helper is, you know, being productive and out there and helping all the people at the expense of looking at self, it's the same vice as the addict is using a vice I believe that a vice is a vice is a vice. It's just that some are more obvious and some are more lethal, but some of them are societally um, accepted women that help other women that's Mm -hmm. societally accepted. Like, and then we start getting into that martyrdom place. And as soon as us helpers and healer healers are helping and healing others by, instead of looking at our own internal work, we're now emotionally manipulating other people we are using other human beings to fill our own voids. Then we go into a very, very dysfunctional, codependent, enmeshed, unhealthy place. Yeah. And I think that happens a lot in coach. I, it's happened to me before I understood this concept where I would be like, why am I so drained working with all these clients? Even though it would fill me up. And it was like, cause you're not doing your own work. You're Mm -hmm. using people as a drug. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. I just, I think this is such an important conversation to have, especially in this industry. This is something that deserves to be cleaned up, that deserves to have the standard brought to a higher expression. And I I really believe that when you can create coherent relationships and your offers can come from coherence and you can have clean invitations for people and create a dynamic of service and contribution and love rather than exploitation or neediness or um, just dysfunction in general, just like that codependency or manipulation, like you said, um, the more everyone benefits and the more you're starting to calibrate the community to that new standard. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that all comes from what we originally started talking about with this like self-responsibility, the devotion to our own energetic, emotional, spiritual, mental, physical well-being. Mm-hmm. And when we're not that, we've got to siphon the energy from somewhere. Like we've got to figure yeah. out how to be human. We're either going to do it by way of sovereignty and a fit spiritual connection, like whatever you want to call that, or we're going to siphon energy from other things. Yeah. From vampires on other people. And that's the available model for most of us that we see culturally, societally. That's how economics works. (laughs) That's how agriculture works right now. Um, And to bring it back to that, the book that I'm reading, Braiding Sweetgrass and and just permaculture um, tenets, the idea of a healthy ecosystem is that return to responsibility and reciprocity and the recognition that inherently abundance is ubiquitous. There is always more than enough. You get to be a person that is rested and resourced. You get to be somebody that has really great boundaries and also is wildly impactful in intimate relationships. Um, You get to have all of these paradoxical or seemingly paradoxical realities be a part of your tangible human experience if and when you start to play with a lot of these concepts of coherence and sovereignty and 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 start to tap into the present moment abundance that's available for you because when you're there that's when you can start to actually attune to and experience all of the creational potential available. Yeah, I, I've, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just so good. And it goes back to like the apple seed concept. Like it's yeah. all here for us. There is an intelligence yeah. beyond human comprehension if we allow ourselves to put our hands in the dirt. Like if we allow ourselves to drink up the nectar of what is right in front of us instead of trying to manipulate control and future trip how it should be based on our internal wounds and fears and unhealed traumas. Yes. Okay, I want to calibrate the the <laughs> the end of the container here and just invite you to share what is really real and alive in your present space right now to what soil is available for you to put your hands in right now. Mm, like right now or in my life right now? Like today, in the next week, what what's the season you're being invited into deep presence with? You know, it's uh, the season that I am being invited into is the season of play and presence. Mm-hmm. Like it's, le- it's, it's the old thing that I work with is double the devotion and half the workload. It's summer. It's a time the taxes are paid, the work year, like a lot of the, it gets – it's time for the feminine mother in me to go on the adventures with Flora and just be really present to a 2.10 year old through the Mm. months of Canadian summer. I love that so much. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's so good. Um, I'm going to share what I'm working with right now. Um, I just came out of a season that invited me into profound and uncomfortable levels of rest and stillness and inward venturing and a very liminal space where results were nowhere to be seen. (laughs) And I'm feeling 
because of my ability to surrender to that, so vitalized on the other side of choosing to accept that season for what it was. Um, And so I am getting to play very much like you in just creation um, and curiosity and exploration. My partner and I are planning a move abroad, um, likely to Mexico. We're still, everything's still up in the air. And so we're just kind of playing with the framework and exploring possibility and potentiality. And so, yeah, just aliveness in the season right now. I love that. I love that. It gets goosebumps all over my whole body. I love it. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Okay. As we're wrapping up, I just want to give the floor to you to, if you have anything you want to say before you feel complete, and then um, inviting people to connect with you, to work with you. How do we get in touch with you? Mm, I feel complete. Like this conversation, my soul is like, you know what I want to do after this is just go eat chocolate. Like just yes. that's solution <laughs> to this is like to meditate with and sit with and thank the the plant of cacao and not just cacao like really delicious sweet chocolate, um, yeah. And you can find me on Instagram. My it's confusing because I started a new Instagram, but my new Instagram <laughs> is I I am Corey Lee. Yeah, and I just started on TikTok. Oh. I just went crazy and started on TikTok and it's like fun. Like it's just playful. I don't know what's going to come of it, but it feels really playful. So you can find me on TikTok also now. It's um, at Corey.Lee. Okay. We'll link all of this in the in the show notes as well. So okay, um, yeah. Are there any experiences or containers that are alive for people to jump into with you now or soon? Yeah. The Opulence is a mini mind for entrepreneurs. So we do like a bit of strategy and a lot of inner work behind building a business. And then the fourth dimension is also one of my mini minds. We do 12 stepping. So like it's super spiritual. And I do have one coming out right now called How Not to Quit. It's a free masterclass, but I don't know when this is going to be live. So the people may or may not get it. It depends. Oh, it's it's coming up like whenever I get it published. So today, tomorrow, by the end of the week, for sure. (laughs) So it'll be real time. Okay. Uh, The How Not to Quit Masterclass is a free masterclass on how not to quit, essentially. Beautiful. I love it. Well, um, there you have it. It will be in the show notes for those of you listening, all of the places, spaces, and offers to connect with Corey in. And yeah, thank you so much for this delicious conversation. I I always love connecting with you and talking with you, and this was no exception. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Kelsey. So good. And thank you for receiving this episode, for being a part of the fabric of the magic of the unedited container. And if you loved this episode as much as I did, I always, always invite you to leave your thoughts, connect with myself and Corey, um, rate the podcast, and of course, subscribe so that you never miss an episode coming up. Before I let you go, I know I've been teasing Ceremony of Service in the last couple of episodes, so if your interest is piqued, I will also be leaving a small link in the show notes for you to sign up to the mailing list and receive all of the juice that comes out, that drips out uh, as I start to unveil and open the doors into Ceremony of Service, which truly is 
developing into just such a special experience, such a special room. And I know it's going to be just as powerful for those of you experiencing it as it is for me being the steward of this experience. So yeah, if you are interested in learning more about Ceremony of Service, check the link in the show notes to get on the mailing list for that. Otherwise, thank you again for being here and